Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, we are still in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13. Uh, A few weeks ago, Pastor Scott kicked off Acts chapter 13, uh, preaching on verses 1 through 3, where he preached a message called The Voice, talking about uh, Manaon, who grew up with Herod the Tetrarch, and they grew up together, but they followed two completely different voices. They went two different paths. And so uh, that was a great, great word. And then a couple of weeks ago, I preached on verses 4 through 12, dealing with discouragement. You you may remember they came against a sorcerer who was coming against them and uh, how God used that, uh, that passage there to help us understand how to deal with opposition. And then today we're going to continue on in Acts chapter 13. So let me just kind of give you a little understanding of the rest of this chapter. So Saul, Barnabas and John Mark all head out on their first missionary journey together. And in verse 13 of chapter 13, it says when they came to Pamphylia, John left them and went back to Jerusalem. Now, it doesn't tell us why John Mark left uh, Barnabas and Paul. It just says that he left. There is uh, possible illness in Galatians chapter four, verse 13. Uh, He talks about having an illness. So that's a possibility. But we're not really sure why. And uh, in Acts 15, Uh, On their second missionary journey, and Pastor Scott will get to this in uh, the coming weeks, but in Acts chapter 15, on their second missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them, even though he left them on their first missionary journey here in chapter 13. But Paul said, absolutely not. Basically, he's left us once. We're not putting ourselves in that predicament again. And uh, because of that, there was a separation between Paul and Barnabas. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul left with Silas and Barnabas took John Mark. And so there was this, this division there. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we see that there was a reconciliation between Paul, Barnabas and John Mark. So we're going to look at chapter 13. Uh, Verse 14, what we see here is that Paul and Silas are there in uh, Pisidian Antioch and they're there on the Sabbath day. So uh, they go to the temple um, there on the Sabbath. And in verse 15, the synagogue rulers, when they realize that Paul is there, they invite him to give a message of encouragement And most of the 13th chapter of the book of Acts is Paul uh, preaching a message. Paul's message in the the, uh, synagogue there at Antioch began by recounting Israel's story. A story that each person in the synagogue would literally know by heart. And then he proclaimed that Jesus was the long-awaited Savior from God. But he added that the leadership in Jerusalem had not recognized this. And instead, they had condemned Jesus to die. 
Their actions, Paul noted, fulfilled the words of the prophet. Paul proclaimed that Jesus was crucified. He was dead and buried, but he also proclaimed that God had raised him from the dead. Amen. So here in the 13th chapter, he then references David from two different angles. Number one, he references David from Acts chapter two, when Peter preached there in the upper room. And then he also referenced Psalms 16:10, where David prophesied that one day God would send a savior who would die, but his body would not decay. Basically, he would die, but he wouldn't stay in the grave. Right. He would be resurrected. And then he gives us the verse that I'm using for our text today. Acts chapter 13, verse 36. And he says this. Paul says, now, when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep or he died. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. I just want to talk to us for a few moments this morning about living with purpose, living with purpose. Solomon, who was the son of David, the wisest human to have ever lived, tried living for various purposes throughout his life. He tried living for his possession for possessions. He went out and accumulated great wealth. He was actually considered the wealthiest person who ever lived. But what he found was that living life for the purpose of possessions is a wasted life. Solomon tried living for prestige and power. He actually became the most powerful man in the world. So now he's got great wealth. He's got great power. Literally, kings and queens came from around the world just to see his magnificence and hear what he had to say. But Solomon found living for power unfulfilling. Finally, he tried living for pleasure. Nothing was withheld from him. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I know he's dead, but we should pray for him still. And all the men said, y'all a bunch of wimps. I'm up here. I'm standing up for us men. We know. Man, I'm going to pray for y'all. He also built entire cities just to hold his his horses and chariots. But again, he found it all without value, value. Solomon lived for everything the world values, but found that he had no real purpose. And with this understanding, Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes, he talks about what happens when we don't know the real meaning of life. Or when we don't understand God's purpose for us. So he begins the book of Ecclesiastes, literally in the first few verses, by helping us understand that life without purpose is not what God intended for us. Uh, let me just let me just read through this. These scriptures, these verses are not on the screen. Let me just kind of read you through the beginning of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. He begins by saying that life without purpose is useless. Listen to verses one through three. He says, or I'm sorry, verses two through four. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. 
Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all of his labor at which he toils under the sun? He's saying, I've done all these things, power, pleasure, wealth, and all of it in the end is meaningless without God. So he says that life without purpose is useless. And then he says that life without purpose is tiring. Listen to verses five through seven. He says the sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning to its course. He's using this as an analogy to say it's just, it's just ongoing. It, there's no end. There's no stop when you're living a life without purpose. If you'll talk to any therapist, any counselor, they will tell you our offices are filled with people who are coming in to simply say, I'm tired. I'm tired. I see no end in sight. It's just day after day after day. It's just routine, routine, routine. Listen, living a life without the purpose of God is tiring. But then Ecclesiastes goes on to say, Solomon says that life without purpose is also unfulfilling. Verses 8 through 10. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye, has, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its filling is full of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. It's unfulfilling. And then lastly, Life without purpose is insignificant. Verse 11, there is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. It's almost like he's talking about that 15 minutes of fame, right? That you're something one moment and you're nothing the next. And it's all because of people choosing to live a life without the purpose of God. It's called the surety of obscurity. Regardless of what we've accomplished, most of it will be forgotten over time. Consider the names that grace various buildings, various universities. Most of us have no idea who these people are. And the truth is, we don't really care. Life without purpose seems insignificant compared to eternity. Our world is filled with people who have no purpose. I read an article recently of a study that was done in Great Britain where 89% of students between 16 and 24 said they had no reason to live and they did not have any understanding as to why they were here. Our world is living without purpose. In 2004, uh, I'm sorry, 2002, Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church came out with a book that you probably remember, The Purpose Driven Life. Literally, it, it, at that time, it was the highest selling Christian book of all times behind the Bible. It, it crossed denominational lines. There were literally studies of lost people who did not attend church, who did not have a relationship with God, who were doing studies on the purpose driven life because they needed purpose. 
And then in 2013, he revised it. What on earth am I here for? It's a, it's a great, in my opinion, it's a great 40-day study, a 40-day journey to just remind yourself of what God created us for. But again, it was such a bestseller because people were looking for purpose. Because if, you don't know our, if we don't know our purpose and we don't live out our purpose, many times other people will determine our purpose for us. And many people are living empty lives without purpose. Our younger generation literally is finding their identity not in who they are, but in their favorite influencers. Let me just remind all of us today. We may be living in Lafayette, Louisiana, but every one of us have influence. Every one of us have influence in our neighborhoods, on our jobs, in our schools, wherever it is. Every one of us have influence. The question isn't, do we have influence? The question is, what are we using our influence for? Who are we using our influence for? Why am I here? What am I here for? If you don't understand your purpose that's found only in God, you'll be distracted. You'll begin pursuing other things like Solomon, distracted by pleasure and by possessions and by fame. Never finding purpose or fulfillment because you're simply chasing after what your sin nature wants you to chase after. Acts 13, 36. Now when David, let me remind you, had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. The first thing we see here in this verse is that he served the purpose of God. He had a divine reason for being not just a reason, but a divine reason. Many purposes will try to persuade us. Many purposes will try to uh, distract us. The purposes of people, the purposes of possessions, of power, prestige, and even the purposes of passion. But here we see that David served the purposes of God. He understood that his purpose was bigger than himself. Maybe we would say he had a calling or maybe we would say he had an assignment, but he served the purposes of of God. And we've got to remember that we cannot accomplish this unless God has a purpose to be served and God does have a purpose for us. Amen. God has a purpose that he has put inside each of us that we are to serve. God designated something for for David to fulfill and so it is with us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 reminds us for we are God's handiwork. Some translations say God's masterpiece. You may not feel like a masterpiece, but that's how God sees you. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Listen, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I just want to give you four steps to purpose this morning. Four steps to purpose. And the first one is this. Know God. The first step to finding divine purpose is you got to start with God. You got to know God, not religion, not even Christian people necessarily, not even just the word of God, because there are plenty, plenty of people who can quote the word of God and you don't know the God of this word. Amen. So you got to know God himself. 
Tara and I are about to do a remodel, a renovation project at home. And so she tasked me this week with looking for appliances. I will say I spent hours looking at appliances. I made no decisions, but I was there and I looked. How many refrigerators can they make? Right? How many ovens? And so it's just ridiculous. But one thing I know is this. A refrigerator doesn't cool because the refrigerator chose to cool. It cools because a designer designed it that way. Your oven does not get hot because the oven decided I'm going to get hot. No, it was pre-designed by a designer, by a creator of that unit. And listen, if your refrigerator is getting hot and your oven's getting cold, they're broken. Meet me at Lowe's this afternoon at two. Right? They're broken. And many people are literally living opposite of the purpose of God for them. And they're broken. Broken in need of healing. Broken in need of freedom. Broken in need of the purpose of God for their lives. Our designer has pre-designed our purpose. And if you want to know the purpose of God for you, you have to first know the God of your purpose. If you want to know the purpose of God for you, you first have to know the God of your purpose. In 1 Samuel 13, 14, God said that David was a man after his own heart. We actually see this in Acts 13 as well. We'll get to that later. He was a man after God's heart. He served the purposes of God in his generation. This didn't come from a casual relationship with God. It came from a dependence on God. David, throughout the Psalms, talked about his relationship with God. In Psalms 71.3, he said that God was his rock and his fortress. In Psalms 23.1, he said that God was his shepherd. Psalms 27.1, his light and his salvation. Psalms 28.17, God is his strength and his shield. And Psalms 31.14, he said all of his trust was in God. In order to really understand our purpose, we must not only know God, but walk in a dependent relationship with him. We have a, a, a little thing that we like to do in our family. <clears throat> we like to go to open houses. We on Sunday afternoons many times will go to open houses. Now, here's the problem is that when we first started going to open houses, the realtors thought we were really interested. <laughs> right. We would pull up the river ranch. I tell the kids, like, kids. We're rich and we're really considering buying this four million dollar house. That's all you got to know. Right. And then we would go and the realtors would talk to us and cater. They wanted our information. You know, you always give a fake number. I don't know if you're any realtors. I'm so sorry, Allie. I apologize. And and so we would now we walk in and when they realize it's us, they're like, oh, the Bodoans are here. They don't cater to us. They don't offer us water, cookies, nothing. Y'all look around. So the goal is to find not only an open house, but an open house with a realtor we've never met. Because then we can play rich. But one of the things I've seen is that as we go, we don't have this in our house, but as we go to open houses, is that some people have a, a TV in their kitchen. How many of you have a TV in your kitchen? All the rich folk, raise your hand. There you go. So 
they have a, a TV in their kitchen, but they also have a TV in their den or their living room. Now, the kid, TV in the kitchen is always small, right? Because it's really not your primary focus. It's while you're cooking, you're glancing at the game. While you're chopping, you're glancing. Be careful when you glance and chop at the same time. <laughs> while you're chopping, you're glancing. While you're serving, you're glancing at the TV. But the TV in the living room is big, right? Because it, it's your focus, And I think that many times what happens is we're living a life where we're glancing at God while we're busy with other stuff. And he's something that we glance at versus something that we're focused on. Right. We're glancing at God while we're building our business. We're glancing at God while we're building our career. We're glancing at God while we're focused on our priorities Most people are simply glancing at God while they're busy with other things. But God intended on us not only not glancing at him, but him being our focus. Jeremiah 29, 13. So many of us love to quote Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, right? Plans to bless you and not harm you, prosper you. We love quoting that scripture. But Psalms 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Not glance at me, but when I am your focus. And David was a man after God's heart. And as a result, he served the purposes of God. So if you want to live a life of purpose, you got to know God. Today, before you leave, maybe you're here and you've never made a commitment to God. Today, before you leave, you're going to have an opportunity to know God, to literally take your first step in simply surrendering to God so that you can know what it is to live a life of purpose. The second step to living a life of purpose is we not only have to know God, but we have to understand that our lives belong to God. David knew his life belonged to God. He understood his influence and his gifting wasn't for his benefit, but it was for God's glory. Our purpose is to use what God has put in us and where he has planted us to draw others to himself. Can I just remind you that every one of us, that God has deposited purpose in every one of us, that God has deposited in every one of us giftings and talents and callings. And then he's planted us in different places, in different neighborhoods and different jobs. And he did that not just for our benefit, but for his glory. He did that because he wanted us to live a life of purpose in front of those who have no purpose. So it would point them to him. You may remember Psalms chapter one, where uh, David begins to talk about blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. You remember that? It doesn't stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the mocker, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, doth he meditate both day and night? Listen, and he says, when you follow that progression, don't walk in the, in the counsel of unbelievers. Listen, you can have friends that are unbelievers, but you shouldn't be finding wisdom from unbelievers. Right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the mocker. We see a progression there, standing, sitting, walking. Listen, and then he says this, for he 
will be like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose life does not wither. And whatever he does will prosper. And David, literally, when you go back into the original language, you'll see that he, when he says that we'll be planted by, by like trees, by streams of living water, it is not some accidental plant. It is someone went out there and strategically planted the tree. Listen, we've got to remind ourselves regularly. We are strategically planted by God in our neighborhood and on our job and with those that we influence. And we will have some personal benefit, but ultimately it is for his, his glory. Our life belongs to God. Psalms 24, 1 says this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Listen, the world and those who dwell in it, we belong to God. Regardless of who we are and what we have to offer those around us, it is nothing compared to what they really need. And what they really need is something that only God can give them. You can give them truth. You can give them wisdom. You can give them understanding. But only God can give them salvation and eternal life. We're the vessels. We're just the conduit that God uses to point them to him. And so David served God's purposes in his generation. So we got to know God. We also have to understand that our lives belong to God. And then thirdly, we have to understand that serving the purposes of God gives us kingdom value. Serving the purposes of God give us kingdom value. Each of us are valuable to God because we're sons and daughters of God. But there are those who have kingdom value because of their willingness to be used by God. See, our willingness to be used by God gives us value with God. Pastor Jacob is my brother-in-law. And people always ask me, how in the world does that man get as many blessings as he gets? How in the world does he get opportunities like nobody else? I was obviously I was at the Lafayette campus for the last couple of years. And one day they asked me that question. All of a sudden I realized this. There are plenty of people who stand in front of a row of doors and go, God, I'm just praying you open a door. God, I'm just praying you open a door. God, I'm just praying for that miracle. God, I'm praying for that blessing. God, I'm praying for that job. God, I'm praying for that car. You're standing in front of those doors and you're praying for God to open one of them. The difference between most people and Pastor Jacob is Pastor Jacob's walking, turning handles. He's turning doorknobs. I'm telling you. Right. Because the Bible says when you knock, the door will be opened, right? Not when you approach the door, not when you pray for the door to be open, but it's when you begin to turn some doorknobs. When you begin to knock, does God open that door? And listen, he opens the door to the people who he knows will use it for his glory. Most of us in this room know somebody who just, we, we just look at them and go, how in the world do they get those blessings? Well, God gives favor to those who walk out the purpose of God by using everything for his glory. When I was 
in the, my parents, my family owned furniture stores. So I managed furniture, furniture stores for years. And I would have plenty of employees that I managed. And anybody who owns a business will, or manages a business will testify to this. The difference between managing hard workers and barely getting by is two different relationships. Right? In this culture where we're having a hard time finding employees, sometimes you got to keep the barely get bys, but they don't get your favor. No, it's those that show up in the morning and go, boss, what you need? Boss, I'm staying late. I can stay late tonight. Tell me what you need. Right? All of a sudden, those people get the little extra at the end of the week. Those people get your favor. Get your favor. Those people can, can get a day off a whole lot easier than the barely get bys. Right? And so it is in the kingdom of God. When God, when you simply say, God, I'm here. God, if you'll give it to me, I will use it for your glory. Listen, they get the favor of God. It's not those who stand at the door. It's those who knock on the door. Am I making sense? David's generation was better off because of David. David's generation was better off because of David, because he filled his purposes. Others were better off. And the question we've got to ask ourselves is this, who will be better off because of us? Who in our neighborhood will be better off because of us? Who on our job will be better off because of us? I I, uh, recently got invited to play golf with a pastor. It wasn't in Lafayette. Don't start thinking who. So I had a couple of other pastor friends uh, call me. Hey, this pastor wants to connect with us. Would you play golf with us? Sure. I'm telling you, this pastor showed up in the most expensive golf outfit you can imagine. He told us how much his shoes cost. They were, le- they were tan leather woven golf shoes. Like you can wear those to church. This is golf, right? He had the best hat. Oh, he, he looked amazing. But he couldn't hit the ball from the tee box to the sound booth. He couldn't hit the ball. He could not hit the ball. And he made an excuse for 18 holes. Can I just remind us today? It's not about our look. It's about our impact. It's about the impact that we make. You can look good and have no impact. You can have the right shoes, but not be able to hit the golf ball. First Corinthians 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians 12 is a chapter that we kind of like to hang our hat on as Protestants and Pentecostals. Because it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, talks about speaking in tongues, and it talks about prophesying, it talks about interpreting tongues. It's things that we like to talk about that we do. But it's interesting because at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says this. Now let me show you a more excellent way. And then he goes into what we call the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And he says this, basically, I'm paraphrasing. Who cares if you speak in tongues if you don't love people? Who cares if you prophesy or understand all wisdom and yet you don't love people? You know what he's saying? Oh, you may sound good, but you have no impact. You have no impact. Because the Bible says that Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to serve others. It's not about how we look. It's about the impact that we need. Our world needs the Jesus that is in us. And then number four, if we're going to live a life of purpose, 
We have to understand that the purpose of God is greater than our past. The purpose of God is greater than our past. Many people feel disqualified because of what they've done. And David is a great example of God's redemption. Because David didn't live a perfect life. Right? You know the story. When all the kings went out to war, King David stayed home. He put himself in a position God never intended him to be in. And as he's there one day while all the men are fighting, David sees Bathsheba bathing on her rooftop. And all of a sudden, we have a Jerry Springer episode, literally, that goes into play. You know the story. He calls for her. He gets her pregnant. And then in order to cover it up, he tries to have her husband killed. He has her husband killed. Right. So David didn't live this perfect life, but it was all said and done. God said that David was a man out of it after his own heart, not because of who he was, who he used to be, but because of what he allowed God to do in him. And some of us have things we don't want to talk about. Some of us have some past relationships that we're embarrassed about. Some of us have some past marriages. Some of us have some children that aren't talking to us today. Some of us have some job failures and some career missteps. And, and, and all of a sudden, we feel disqualified. Can I just remind you, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. It is Satan's job to make you feel disqualified. It is Satan's job to remind you of your past. It is Satan's job to remind you of your mistakes. But Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Can I tell you? Your past is no comparison to the grace of God. The blood of Christ that covers all. Of our sins. So what's your purpose? Well. If you have been through our next steps class. You know we use kind of a three step process. And let me just say this. If you've not been through our next steps class. It'd be a great next step for you. And you're like well what's it about? Well it's about taking your next step. That's why we called it next steps. Right? And you'll go there and just kind of figure out. Understand who we are. And what God's called us to. And then we're going to help you figure out your next step. It might be baptism. It might be a Bible study. It might be whatever, small, whatever. But it's just understanding your next steps. But we use three things. We use the fact that God will use your passions. God will use your abilities. And then God will use your experiences in order to help you understand your purpose. Because the redeeming quality of God is this. God can use the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right? are good. Some of you have an, a, a leg up. Some of you grew up in great families. Some of you had a little extra, right, growing up. You had educational opportunities others didn't have. You grew up in an environment that was healthy. But some of you got some bad. Again, you think about your mistakes. You think about your past sins. You think about your past failures. And then some of you got some ugly. Not stuff that you did, but stuff that was done to you. Some injustices that were done to you. Can I just remind you 
The Bible says in the book of Genesis that God used, Mo, used Joseph and at every turn he found trouble. And yet in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he said this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I don't know where you come from, but I know that God can use all of that for his glory. So David served the purposes of God in his generation, and then he died. We need to remind ourselves, this isn't the land of the living heading to the head, land of the dying. No, we're living in the land of the dying headed to the land of the living, right? Uh, let me just, uh, y'all like Monopoly? Y'all like to play Monopoly? So we grew up playing Monopoly at our house. Now, this is a true story. If you know my sister, Michelle, I promise you, if you know my sister, Michelle, I just want to give you a hint. I want to just give you a little wisdom, right? Just in case you ever caught, get caught in a monopoly, and I mean that literally, get caught in a mon game of Monopoly with my sister, Michelle. Number one, she cheats. <laughs> and number two, she may love Jesus, but she's ruthless in Monopoly. I'm going to tell you how bad it got. My mother literally banned the game from our home. <laughs> Family member, now I'm passive. I'm like, here, you can have boardwalk. Oh, park play. My sister, Michelle, my brothers, they were ruthless. But you know how it is, you're playing Monopoly and man, you own Park Place and Boardwalk and, and you got property and you'll never own property here, but you own property in Monopoly and, and you got all this cash, right? You're, but then eventually the game's over and probably you lost. And they fold it all up and they take the cash and they put it all in the box. And then they put the box away. As we talk about living a life of purpose, we got to remember that one day we will be in a box. That what we've done is over. Our opportunity to live with purpose, our opportunity to live for God's glory, our opportunity to make a difference, to affect our generation will be over and they will put us in a box and they will close the box and here on earth the game will be over. And the question is this, who will say of us? Jamie served the purposes of God. J Gerald served the purposes of God. Kim served the purposes of God. In their generation. Because really when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, it won't be about what we left behind. It'll be about what we send ahead. People love to talk about you can't take it with them. And for the most part, that's true. There's one thing you can take with you. And that's people. You get to take people to heaven with you. Not in the moment you go. Right? I'm not going with you. I got stuff to do. I got to open house this afternoon. David served his, the purposes of God in his generation. But let me tell you why he did. Because before we see Acts 13, 36, we see Acts 13, 32, which simply says, after removing Saul, he made David their king and God, listen to this, God testified concerning David. And God said this, 
I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Listen to me. This is convicting. And he will do everything I want him to do. Would you bow your heads? Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. You're here today. We've spent time talking about purpose. We dedicated four little girls who were literally just on the beginning of their journey for purpose. We prayed over the merits as they pursue the purpose of God. But maybe you're here today and you got to start at step one, which is simply know God. When you think about your life, when you think about your past, when you think about your present, when you think about what your future looks like in your own eyes, there's not much there. Not much that is filled with purpose, filled with meaning and quality. And step one to living a life of purpose is simply surrendering your heart to God. It's literally taking the steering wheel of your life and handing it over to God because God knows best and because you can trust God. You're here today and you've never made a commitment to Christ, but you want to. You want to know God. You want to take that first step. Listen, this is your moment. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 said, if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God and He was raised from the dead, Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to pray a prayer with you. There's no magic in the prayer. I'm just helping you to articulate with your mouth what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart. So I'm going to count to three. And if you want me to include you in that prayer, when I say three, I just want you to put your hand up and put it right back down. We won't embarrass you for anything in the world. We won't call you forward. We won't have you stand. I just want to pray, know who I'm praying with. Listen, one, don't worry about who's here and what this one thinks or that one thinks. None of that matters today. The only thing that matters is this. God is here and he wants a relationship with you. Two, God forbid, but any one of us could be called to stand before God to give an account for our lives. And the question is, would you be ready? Really, the better question is this. Do you want to be ready? Because you can today. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Are you ready? Three, lift your hand all over this auditorium. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There in the back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Here to my right. Thank you. There in the back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Then on my left, you can put your hands right back down. I want to pray a prayer with you. And I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me, but let it come right from your heart. And I'm going to ask every believer in this room to pray out loud in support of you. Can we pray together? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt. And you died for it. I believe that you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. 
God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we celebrate with these today?